0: Welcome, welcome. So good to see everyone here today. I don't know if you can see this super well, but the title of our lesson is a little, uh, it's not strange, but it might catch you off guard. It's called Love and Sin. And I feel like, I don't know the last time I heard a lesson called Love and Sin. But that's what we're going to talk about today. And, uh, you know, the, I guess I have a couple goals. If you're sitting here, Maybe you're an old, crusty Christian who's been around forever. And my goal for you guys, yeah, my goal for you guys is I want you to kind of like look at this stuff in a different way that will maybe reinvigorate your relationship with God, maybe have a more, instill a little passion into your relationship with God you know, if you're not a disciple of Jesus Christ yet, uh I want you to kind of shift your thinking about sin. I want I want to talk about sin in a different way. And a lot of this, if you remember, we had a, a sermon of maybe a month or two months ago called The Choice, where we talked about like flesh and the, the, the spirit and and how kind of like all all sin boils down to this like almost binary choice between following our flesh or following the spirit. And so uh, again, if you remember in that lesson, one of the things I talked about was like, you we just think of sin as this list of bad things. Don't do these things. And so my hope is that I will kind of like help you see that that's maybe not what it is. I look at sin almost as a disease that needs a cure. And then uh, I'll tell you what that cure is spoiler alert, it's Jesus, okay, just in case you want to know. But I got, I got a couple stories I want to tell along the way, and here's the first one. I don't know if you can see that. That is, you guys don't know this, this uh, cat, but this is Chewy Louie. And this is Chewy, our cat before we had Ollie. And this picture is uh, Everett and Chewy. This is actually taken the night before we took him to uh, the vet to be put to sleep. He was dying. He was very sick. And uh, so this was the last night we had Chewy in our house. And it was very sad. We're all crying, and we love Chewy. Chewy had been with us. Actually, Joel Nagel gave us Chewy Louie. Uh, And there's a long story. Jen came home from staff meeting with his cat. Never asked me if I wanted a cat. But then then we have Chewy Louie. And the boys were born into a house with Chewy Louie. And so this is the only pet that Everett and Freddie had ever known up until this night when they're kind of saying their goodbyes. And it's super sad. So then the next day, Jen and I take him to the animal hospital, and it's very clear, you know, what needs to be done. He's dying. And so we put him to sleep, and we're holding him when they give him the injection. And maybe Simon's like, that's called Tuesday to me, but, but, but for us, that was, our, that was our cat, and we're sobbing. like I'm like, it's like, like sobbing as my cat is dying in my arms, and Jen's like, we're both crying, and it was super, super sad. And, and what I would say is, it broke my heart to watch Chewy die, okay? You're going to hear that repeated a couple times. But guess what? We got a new cat. And this is Ollie, and a lot of you guys know Ollie if you've been over to our house. Um, we got a new cat. It wasn't—it wasn't that big of a deal. We were like, well, one cat died, and I was—I was the guy that was like, we don't—I don't want a new cat. But then Carla was like, hey, I'm going out of town. Would you like to cat sit my cat for me? And she knew what she was doing. She didn't want that cat. She was hoping that it would like latch onto our hearts. And I remember holding it, and I was like, oh, I love you. And then Jen's like, I heard that. I was like, no. I said, I love him. Oh, no. And so, yes, I love Oliver. He's a a great cat. He's a little crazy sometimes. But he's a a cool cat. He's very pretty. He's very soft. And he's he's a cool cat. And I love him. Now, uh, he doesn't love me. And it, there's an article, I don't know if you ever read it or saw it floating around the internet, that was like, your cat is plotting your murder. <laughs> and it was basically all about how your cat, if, like, if you die in your sleep and no one comes to check on you, they will eat you. Like, they are vicious, murdering animals, and, and they wish you were dead. Like, in the power structure of your home, they know that you're above them, but man. And so even at our house, Freddie is hilarious, because he's the smallest in the house. And Ollie knows, like, okay, you're not this guy, but I, I might be bigger than you. I might be more important than you. And so he'll attack Freddie, <laughs> Like, he'll, like, lie and wait around the corner and then pounce on him. It's hilarious. So I love Oliver. Oliver doesn't love me. Oliver doesn't know how to love me. And we are going to talk about that a little bit more. Here's Oliver and the boys, okay? I tell Oliver I love him. I tell my boys I love them. Am I saying the same thing? I'm not communicating the same idea. I'm not communicating the same feelings or emotions or sense of commitment. I'm saying two completely different things when I tell Oliver I love him and when I tell Evan Freddie that I love them. Because Oliver is my pet, and Ev and Freddy are my sons. And we're going to talk about that a little bit. If the house was on fire, and I could only save Oliver or Ev, or Oliver and Freddie, I'm sorry, Oliver, but you're probably not going to make it. Because I'm I'm not going to be as concerned with saving the cat as I am with saving my son. I hope that's not a radically scary notion for anybody. I'm hoping that most of the parents are like, duh. I would take it up a notch and be like, if, if, if God miraculously was like, Ben, you have two choices in front of you. Save your son's life or kill every cat in the world. I'd be like, ooh, Sorry, cats, but I love my son more. And then for the rest of my life, I'd be known as the guy that murdered all the cats in the world. But I, like, I don't feel for my cat what I feel for my son. I would sacrifice my own life for my son's, but I would not sacrifice my life to save my pet cat. And maybe some of you are like, I totally would take a bullet from my dog or whatever. Like, I get you. Not me, okay? I'm just saying. Not me. Pets are not the same as children. And, I, and that might sound obvious. I'm going to dig into that for a little bit here. Pets are not the same as children. Pets will live at peace with their masters most of the time. But pets don't love their masters. And you might have seen some videos of the vets coming home from overseas and the dog is like freaking out. And the dog is like, rawr, 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 I miss you, I miss you, I miss you. Um, yeah, maybe dogs. No, like your, your fish isn't going to do that. Your cat isn't going to do that. Your bird isn't going to Like dogs are kind of special in that way. But I would even say that's not love. That's not love that we're talking about. Pets... Like we saw with Chewy Louie, can break your heart when they die. But here's what's weird pets don't break your heart when they're alive. Children, though, break your heart your whole lifespan. (laughs) From the time you have a child till the time you die, your children are like they have the power to just crush your heart, and they can break your heart. While they're still alive. Pets though, when you like teach your dog a trick and he doesn't do it well, you're not emotionally wounded by your pet's lack of like obedience or response or anything. Like like they just don't have that power over you while they're alive. But man, when they die, you're like, oh, it's my favorite pet. But children are different. Children have the power to break our hearts you might train your pet to perform a task. Ollie's pretty cool because he's an actually a pretty trainable cat. So it's funny. We have this routine when we feed him. Well, one, he has been trained to know which kid feeds him at which time of day. So I should have put it up there, but there's a hilarious picture of Freddie. He comes down in the morning and he sits on the edge of the couch, and Oliver is like, this is, this is breakfast. Freddie feeds me breakfast. And so he Oliver comes and he sits on the edge of the couch just staring at Freddy. And Freddy's trying to watch television, and I'm like, he's just waiting for you to feed him. And Freddy's like, I don't, I don't give in to terrorists. I'm not gonna, he doesn't ruin, he doesn't, he doesn't plan my whole day. He just sits there and waits for Freddy. But we can train our pets to perform a task. And so when we go feed Oliver, like if I take the, if he jumps up on the counter when I'm going to get the food, I just kind of like do that, and he jumps off the counter. And then I peel back the wet food can, and this is super weird if you've seen us do it, but I hold it right here, and he like climbs up my leg and like licks the the top of the, the thing, and then I put that away, and then I dish it out onto his plate, and then he wants to lick the spoon. And he licks it very specifically. He like licks the front of the spoon, and then he like does this thing where he's like, okay, turn it over, and then he licks the back of the spoon, and then I put the spoon away, and then I stand there, and I just hold the plate, and I, and I wait. And he'll sit for his food, which most cats cats are not going to do that. But, but the Bengal cats are very trainable, and so it's really cool. Um, you can train a pet to do a task. Uh, but children, we train them to do something else. Children, we train to, like, think. Feel and mature and develop in a different way other than just you know if you do this I'll give you a treat okay I hope that makes sense pets live with you they're super cool to play with they'll snuggle with you but they will never develop the capacity to love you and care for you the way a child can not that they always do but the way that a child can take care of Of their parents. A child can grow up to respect their parents. A child can grow up to like bring their parents into their house and meet their needs, and that's something your pet is never going to do. Your your pet is never going to think, man, I wonder how I can care for you now. You've cared for me my whole life, and now it's my turn to take care of you. Nope. As long as you feed them, pick up their poop, and like give them a place, like they'll just have this relationship with you. And that's a long, drawn-out little thing on, on the difference between pets and animals. But this is a, a glimpse into the heart of God and what he wanted in those relationship with humanity. And so that's what we're going to dig into right now. So my point, first point is the broken piece of God. You might be like, what? Is, is God broken? No, God's not broken. But I want to talk about it in the idea of this thing. This thing that makes up who God is. And then he took a piece off of that and he put it in us. And then that, and then we are living as that like broken-off piece of God, and we broke it. We abuse that thing that God put in us. And so uh, what is that? That's what we're going to look at for this point. It's love. We'll look at some scriptures, but I want us to to start thinking of, of love as the thing that God is made of, and he gave it to us, and then we broke it. We abused it. We messed it up. There is a difference between children and pets, and God wanted children. He didn't want. And so, all those differences that we just talked about, sometimes when you're maybe wrestling with your flesh and you're thinking, man, God, why didn't you just do it like this? One of the things that pops into my head every once in a while is like, man, it would be easier if I was just God's pet. Like, if I just, we had a relationship that was very just much like, I don't, I just do what I'm supposed to do, you do what you're supposed to do. We don't have to worry about actually, like, I I don't have to worry about loving you. Just, I'll even live in a nice little cage if it's nice enough. Like, if it looks like my house, like, God just, like, take care of me. And we don't need to have messy relationship, one that's made of love. It would be easier if we were just God's pets. The problem is that God didn't want pets. And some theologians have speculated over the year that God has enough pets, like some of the other spiritual beings in the spiritual realm, and some people think that angels are, you know, those are, those are different than humans. Because we're children, and they are different creations of God. And we'll, well, we can ask them that when we see them. But pets don't share the same status as children. And so let's look at this scripture in 1 John 4. It says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. And so, whereas God could have made us all robots, or pets, or something that just kind of sings songs and says, Hey, you're awesome, but doesn't have the choice to do that. That could be what God would want. But that's not what God did. He wanted this next layer of our relationship, where it's not just do the things I say to do, and I'll program you, and then you'll execute that program. And so sing this song for the next 5,000 years in heaven, and we're like, oh, that sounds great. He's like, no, 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 no. I want something different. I want a relationship And I want it to include this thing called love. And it's a part of me. And I'm going to put it in you. And I'm hoping that we can cultivate love between us. And, And love is scary, guys. Love is, like, dangerous. It's explosive. It's terrifying when you really think about it. And it's not love just like obedience, like a like a you're training a pet and sometimes we can even make that mistake with our kids like if you do what i say then you love me but it's not just that love is a piece of who god is god is powerful and obedient love is is what it is because we have the power to disobey we could say God could say, "Here, this is, this is the way I would like you to live. And because we're not pets, because we're not robots, we can say, I don't want to live that way. And that is the most loving thing that God could do. And so sometimes we're like, God, how can you be loving? This kind of dips into the toe of like suffering in the world. How can you be loving and let this stuff happen? And he's like, if I didn't let you guys have those choices it would be the opposite of loving. As soon as you become robots, or if I, if I, you know, like, it would be like me as a parent. If I'm like, hey, I want to have a really well-behaved kid, because then that reflects on me as a good parent. So, straight jackets and lithium for Evan and Freddie. And they'll just be very compliant and very malleable, and they'll do whatever I say. And then I can show them to people like, hey, look, I have very well-behaved kids. And everyone will be like, you're a monster. And yet, we complain about God in that way. Love is only love when we give people the power to hurt us. As soon as we say, hey, nothing you do has any effect on me, we've stepped out of the realm of love. We're not in a loving relationship with with that person at, at that time. And obedience doesn't really count if there's not the choice to disobey. Then we're just robots. So let's read about how powerful love is. This is a prayer in Ephesians. Paul writes this prayer in the middle, right at the end of the first half of Ephesians. We're going to study out this prayer a little bit later, uh, maybe in the fall. But I just want to read it. And I want you to notice how much Paul talks about power coming from love. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being I already can tell, some of you guys, I probably lost you halfway through that. It's pretty um, religious-sounding scripture. If I'm being totally honest, there's times where I read that and I'm like, wow, I don't have a clue what that means. It's just so magnificent. It's so amazing. And I don't know, I don't know everything about love that surpasses knowledge. And I don't know what, what does it mean, the whole fullness of God. That's amazing. And how does being rooted and established in love, bring about power. But what I'm trying to communicate is that God's love is extremely powerful. It's not, we'll, t- we'll talk about this in a bit, but it's not like, you know, the warm, fuzzy feelings. God's love is so overwhelming sometimes that we can't even process it. And so sometimes we just turn our brain off. And we're like, yeah, God loves me. I, I, I love God, I love you, I love my kids, I love my wife, like, but we, we don't go there to really explore how dangerous and powerful and terrifying love actually is, but if we can start, like, just take the first step to start thinking about how amazing love really is, it can change you, it can transform who you are, and so I got this picture, I'm going to leave this up for a little while, and if you remember from the, the, the last sermon that we did on the choice, I talked about free will. And what's weird is free will is not really a biblical concept much at all. It's not, that phrase, free will, is not in the Bible. And a lot of people will say that the reason why we have sin is because of free will. And that is true, kind of, in a way, but it's, it's overlooking one of the most important aspects of this. The reason we have sin is because we have love. And I know that that can be a a really awful thing to have to admit. But we have sin in our life because God loved us enough to not make us the robots or the pets. He gave you the ability and the power over his heart to crush it. And we read that in the Bible where like, Mankind grieved God's heart. We have the power to make the wrong choice. And so sin is not separate from love. The, the idea of this picture is that sin is actually the shadow of love. It is love without light. It is love that is hidden. Behind love, we can choose to make the wrong choice, and that is with the shadows in which sin hides. It's what, we, it's what happens when we take this amazingly beautiful, dangerous, explosive thing that's part of God and we, we abuse it, we mess it up. And we're going to talk about that. You're going to hear me say this a bunch of times. There's this, this thing that's good, it's part of God, we bring it, he gives it to us, and then we break it. We mess it up. You respond to the, you respond the wrong way to God's love inside of you. That's what I'm going to say a couple times over and over now. You respond the wrong way to God's love inside of you. Love is not just the the, the warm fuzzy feelings. Think about love as like a stick of dynamite. And if it were just warm fuzzy feelings, our feelings, they go up and down and they come and they go. Shifting sands. They're like like, hey, I, I, I love you, you're awesome, and then the next day you're like, mm, kind of, maybe. If love was just a warm, fuzzy feeling, then your spouse would never cry. Your spouse would never feel like a failure. Because it's just warm, fuzzy feelings. But we know that's not true. Every, I think everybody who's ever been married in this room has experienced a lot of pain as a result of their, their relationship with that person. And anyone that you love dearly, you've probably experienced some pain in that relationship. Why is that? It's because we give that person the power over us. Like, hey, I love you, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you a weapon that you can really mess me up with. I'm going to trust that you won't. And that person's a sinner too, just like you. And so they do. And you hurt them. And that is what love is because love is dangerous and terrifying and it's like it's like the stick of dynamite because you love your spouse they have a power over you that they that you can't control they can hurt you and so like if I were walking down the street and some guy was like hey dude you're dumb I'd be like well who cares what you think I don't care. And I'd keep going, and by the next day, I'd forgot that guy ever existed. But guys, if Jen even, like, kind of hinted or, like, said something in a way with a tone that made me feel like maybe she thought I was dumb, someone would need to come pick me up off the ground because I would be like, uh I'm destroyed in my heart. Why? Because that guy on the street has no power over me. I don't care about him. Jen has more power than anyone over me because I love her. So, for instance, oh, but then the only way to solve that is to stop loving people. If you never want to get hurt ever again, don't love anyone, which is not a fun way to go. So here's what I'm going to say. God's love has some aspects that are super important. One of them is a compassion. God's love is full of compassion. And he put that in you. Now, unfortunately, that's super overwhelming. When you see the pain and suffering in the world, and you see people hurting all around you, you're like, well, this isn't fun. I don't want to feel for every single person in the world. And so that's what you do. You protect yourself by hardening our hearts to the pain of other people. And so you see it, and you're like, meh, Whatever. And over time, you just build this protective shell around your heart where you're like, your pain doesn't affect me whatsoever. That is sin because you've responded the wrong way to the thing that God put inside of you. God put that in you for a reason and you have abused it. You've responded the wrong way. God's love is ambitious, super ambitious, God made big plans for the world involving people. And throughout the Bible, we read stories of very like godly, ambitious people. God is like, hey, you're going to do something great. I believe in you. You're going to do it awesome. He, won't, he appreciates people that want to do big things. But then what does that do inside of us? It doesn't always sit very well. So what our response is, but I don't want to be ambitious for other people. I just want to be ambitious for me. I want people to praise me. I want to help myself. I want to have good things. I want to have an easy life. That's my ambition. And if it's for anybody else, nope, I'm not going to. And so your heart can't handle God's version of what ambition is supposed to look like. And you start making those idols in your life. You make yourself the most important thing. And what has happened? you've responded the wrong way to the good thing that God put inside of you. It's sin. God is romantic. God is passionately romantic and desires intimacy with people. And maybe we'll have a marriage class about some stuff. But but God's love is, is so filled with intimacy and passion and romance, and he put that inside of us We do not know how to deal with it. But I don't want to wait. I don't want to find the person you want me. I'm going to take matters into my own hands. And so what do we do? We start looking around, and we turn people, other precious children of God, and we're like, yeah, I can use you for pleasure, and I can use you for pleasure, and you can meet my needs for a little while, and then I'll discard you. Because I don't know how to deal with this thing that God put inside of me. So I'm going to take matters into my own hands. And we respond the wrong way to God's love inside of you. And so the next time you're tempted, here's a little practical. Try to think about it in those terms. Like when you're tempted, you're going to, be, you're going to think, man, I'm being tempted with, and you're going to name a sin. And that's, that's fine. But I want you to then go the next step and think like, man, What is going on in my heart? What is the thing that God put in here that I don't know how to deal with? And then this is what's happening. And you might not know the answer to that question. So here's my follow-up practical. Talk to someone. Call someone. And talk it over. Like, man, I'm tempted to do this, and I want to figure out, you know, what's going on in my heart. Nine times out of ten, if you do that, the thing that you were going to do, you're not going to do it but it's not just because you're like super self-controlled it's because you're getting deeper into the heart of like how you work as a child of God ask yourself when you're tempted why am I lowering myself from who God made me to this thing that, that is below what God has in store for me and then so over time we, we lose sight of the, the love of God, and all we see is sin. This is our whole culture. This is our whole world. We have blinders on to the other side of what this means, and all we see is just all the mess and all the hurt that people are doing to other people, and all the ways people are hurting me, and so this is just how we, this is just how we interact now, right? It seems like we live in a society where we only see the sin, and we can't understand why we do the things we do. We've hurt, we've abused generation after generation after generation. We're trapped in these cycles of hurting people. and We get hurt, and then we just take it out on other people. And it's all we know how to do. We just live in a sinful world. And that brings me to my other point. I only got these two points, guys. My second point is the sin problem. So if you've, like, sat in on a Bible study with me... you know, I, I try to talk about sin in these ways. That sin is not just the list of bad things. You've heard me say that many times. Sin is the, is the relationship breakdown between us and God. Jesus is the cure to the disease of sin, not a certain sin or a type of sin, all sin. Jesus is the solution to the sin problem. And so, if I were to list off sins like hatred, lust, lying, murder, impurity, all these things, it's the list, and you can start thinking like, oh yeah, i got to remember the, the list. There's like 17 things that i, I got to not do, and oh my gosh, I forgot what number seven is, and what if I do it? I forgot. Someone, I should write it down. But we miss that the sin problem is not about a particular sin. It's it's very simple. Here's the sin problem. We once lived in an intimate relationship with God, in a state of peace, and then we messed it up. And so the, the, the sin problem is not that we need to repent of 20 different things, it's that we need to repair the relationship that was hurt with God. We once, we lived at peace with God, and then we were separated from him. It's not about the things we do necessarily. It's about our position next to him, our standing with him, our relationship with him. How is that? What does God want you to do? Like, whatever God has on your heart right now, this is what God wants me to do? And you might have a very concrete answer for that. But then the next thought in your brain is, well, I don't want to do that. And so it's easy to think, well, I'm going to do whatever I want to do. And that's sin. It's not that you did the bad thing. It's that you are putting something in front of your relationship with God. You're like, hey, God, yeah, you're cool and all, but my relationship with you is not as important as what I want to do right now. And so you can be like, I didn't do anything wrong. Right, but that's not what it's about. It's about our relationship. It's about, um, it's about our heart towards God. And so here's, a, here's a, a funny little analogy. Here's the bridge, okay? This is a kind of a famous bridge in Colorado. spans this chasm. And you can walk across this bridge back and forth. It's very easy. You can, you can cross this chasm without even breaking a sweat. It's super easy. And imagine if <laughs> this is our relationship with God, and we can cro- go back and forth And we can have this relationship with God. And then he's like, hey, guess what, guys? I want you to know that I'm a God that shares my authority with all my creations. And you are powerful people. So here's what I did. I wired this whole bridge with explosives. And here's the button. Don't blow it up. And we're like, oh, my gosh. Why did you do this? (laughs) And we blew it up. And that's what we do. And so it's not that. And then we blame God. Like, why did you do that? He's like, I gave you the power to hurt me and you choose to do it so we blew up this bridge of peaceful relationship between us and God and now and so that's the sin problem the bridge is gone the the, the sin problem isn't I got to be a better person the the sin problem is there's no more bridge so how are we going to fix this and so one way we can think about it is, I don't know if this is, is possible, it's the guy standing on this cliff, and I just put this, like, cheesy stock photo of a pallet of bricks on the side there. So, like, imagine if you were standing on the edge of a giant chasm, and you had all the supplies with which to build a bridge next to you. And you're like, well, I can do this. All I need to do is put all the pieces of the bridge where they go, and I'll, I will have fixed it. And, but... You can't build a bridge from one side of the chasm without any help. Like if you had all the supplies, you'd put something and it would just fall into the chasm. And then you try to put it together and just fall. And you're like, maybe if I try harder, I can build this bridge from me from here to the other side. And everything you do just falls into the chasm. And that is what it's like to, to fix the sin problem all on your own. Everything you do is never going to work. This is the all have fallen short of the glory of God. If if that guy tried to jump across the chasm, he's going to fall. And it doesn't matter if it's John, who's an amazing athlete, by the way, or Marshall, both of them are going to die and fall in the bottom of the pit. Because your ability to jump better than Marshall has no bearing on your ability to cross this chasm. That's That's the sin problem. Marshall's like, I'll give it a try. The bridge is gone, guys. It doesn't matter if you have more or less sin. It doesn't matter if you are smarter. It doesn't matter if you're better in any way. Every single human being is incapable of getting across this chasm. And so what we do sometimes is we're like, no, I can do it. And, and teens and even college students, this is, the, this is the mistake we make all the time. So we, we pick up one of those bricks, and we're like, yeah, this is part of the bridge. This is, this is my lion, and I'm going to fix it. And you polish it off, and you, you make it look nice, and, and I repented of this sin. And you put it on the edge, and you're like, ta-da, and it falls into the chasm. And you try that with every sin in your life. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to repent of this. And you try to see if that will help you cross the chasm, and it falls into the chasm. And, and you can repent of everything in this piecemeal menu fashion and be like, I'm really trying to be a good person. And everything you do fails. Because you're not, you're addressing that behavior, but you're not fixing the sin problem, which is we blew the bridge up, guys. There's no bridge. We take our bricks one by one and we fix it. I'll do this better next time we repent, we start doing what is right, we stop doing what is wrong, we think we can build it, and we fail, and we fail, and we fail. Some of you are trying to work it out all on your own. And I'm telling you, you will never solve the sin problem. You will never solve your sin problem. You come to church, think, I can do this, I can kind of fit in, I can make it work, but you can't make it work. And so, my job is we need a different bridge. We need a new bridge and a bridge that you can't provide for yourself. And the, the, the life of a Christian is not fixing your bridge. It's Jesus coming and bringing you a new bridge. <laughs> Jesus is the bridge. You need to fully surrender. Make Jesus Lord of your life. God will give you that new bridge. Here's here's a verse. Hebrews 7:25. Therefore, this is talking about Jesus, therefore he is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Such a high priest truly meets our need, one who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike the other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for the sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once for all when he offered himself, for the law appoints him appoints as high priests men in all their weakness. But the oath which came after the law appointed the son who has been made perfect forever. What is this saying? It's saying the old way under the law was a guy standing on your side of the chasm helping you fix your bricks. He's like, I can help you see God. And then Jesus is like, that's never going to work. You need a whole new bridge. And so this verse contrasts what people can do versus what Jesus can do. There are two people, broken people, they both are victims of the sin problem. They both need the cure, and Jesus is the cure. Jesus is the bridge. So what now? Well, if you come to me and Jen and you're like, I have this problem, we will always try to help you with your problem. Practical healing is very good and real and it's important and you all have very individual, you all have different things going on in your life and we want to help you with those. That's great. But it's tricky because we can help with problems and never address the problem. We can't ever think that a single temporary solution is more important than the huge eternal solution. As a non-Christian, my, my life, uh, my sin was starting to destroy my life, and I was living very uh, self-destructive way. I was going to end up in a very bad place, and I, I start. I even saw that. I was self-aware to know, like, you're going to mess up everything. <laughs> and so I remember thinking, you know what? Because I grew up going to church, and I'm grateful for that. But I remember thinking, you know what? I got to go back to church. And I thought that that's what was going to do it. But sometimes we just change the one part of our, of our life because it's damaged, but we're not fixing like the actual, what's actually broken in our relationship with God. Your relationship is damaged, not just the, the thing you messed up and got yourself into. And so if you're like, man, yeah, I'm lying. I, I lie and I need to repent of that. Like, I will tell you, yes, you need to stop lying. I'm not going to say, no, it's no big deal. Yes, I will tell you, you need to stop lying. But when you stop lying, that's not going to fix the bridge. It's not gonna, that's not going to miraculously fix your relationship with God. I will tell you, You know, stop having fits of rage. Stop fighting. Hey, stop going to the bar and getting drunk and punching people. It's not good. And you're like, okay, I'll stop doing that. But that's not going to fix the bridge either. But don't go to the bar and get drunk and punch people, okay? I will tell you to live a pure life. I will tell you to avoid immorality and sexual impurity. But that's not going to fix the bridge either. Because you came to church not thinking about your relationship with God. If if people just come to church and they're thinking, I just want to be a better person. That's what we talked about last week, remember? I just want the self-help Christian. I just want to be a better person. So help me be a better person. Like That's not going to fix the bridge. And then here's the crazy thing, is that sometimes God really does want to, like, improve your life. God does want to give you good things in life, which is awesome. Maybe he wants to give you a better job or a relationship or, you know, a better place in life. That's beautiful. And I'm not going to say turn that stuff down. That's fine. But you also have to accept the, the possibility that maybe that's not his job. Maybe if you come to church, you won't get a better job or you won't get, you know, into the college you want to or The person you want to marry because maybe that's not the most important thing to God maybe God is more interested in your relationship with him than your comfort and stuff in this world and so here's a bridge okay we're done I went way too long here's a bridge this is another uh, less famous bridge but this is literally just three cables strung across this massive gap I think this is uh, South America and so you basically are just walking on one cable while holding on to the other two. And this is the bridge. And you're like, well, this isn't the bridge I wanted. I want the comfy bridge. I want the bridge I can drive my SUV across. Like, this is a very scary bridge. And here's what I'm here to tell you. The life of discipleship might be like this bridge. It might actually be the most terrifying thing you've ever done in your entire life. You make Jesus Lord of your life, and he gives you this. And he's like, guess what? I love you so much that you get to experience this for the rest of your life until you die. And you're like, wait a second, where's my comfy bridge? The life of discipleship might be the most uncomfortable, terrifying, painful thing that you could have ever imagined. But my encouragement is to remind you that, that Jesus died so that we have a, a, a connection with God that you could never provide for yourself. And it's not up to us to to tell Jesus what that should look like. This is why I don't like the prosperity gospels. Because my Lord, the guy that I am a slave to, was a homeless like guy that was murdered. And so I'm going to sit here and be like, well, I don't deserve that. I deserve a lot better than that. He's like, am I really your Lord? Or do you want to be like me? Jesus did not die to bring us safety per se, but salvation. And so this is where I'm always going to say, you know what makes crossing this bridge a lot say, a lot easier? When you have people. When you have people that will help you. Maybe not some jerk that's swinging it back and forth. But, but my job is to help you cross this bridge, the bridge that Jesus gave you. And it might be scary. and It might be hard. And it might be the most frustrating thing that you'll ever do. But I want you to know that it's totally worth it. And that we're here to help you. And so, with that, I'm going to bring up uh, Jen and Ramayan to do our communion before we are dismissed. So, come on up, Jen and Ramayan.